0: My name is Chris Kramer. very grateful, recovered alcoholic. Oh, honored. Glad to see so many of y'all came back. That's nice, you know? Always a good sign. Always a good sign. Boy, it's a good breakfast, too, huh? That's, um, we're in business. Coffee, breakfast, doesn't get any better than that. I, um, I'm excited to be here. I'm gonna, I, we got you for an hour this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you guys about this First Step business, and um, I think it's probably one of the most misunderstood most screwed around with step in the in the in the deal and uh, and I, I'm again is like I'm talking about last night. You guys are so free to agree or disagree with any of this. I'm coming out of the book. If, if you don't agree, you're you're wrong. So let's. <laughs> Coming from a perspective of being a relapsing fool, I've talked to a bunch of you guys that you're just you just, you're just telling my story. I mean, I, I was yet seven years trying to get sober, in and out of treatment, in and out of AA, in and out of therapy, in and out of churches. And I've, I've been dipped, dunked, neutered, and spayed, and sat in churches built like teepees. And, oh, my God, I've, I've, I've done, I had colonics one time trying to get sober. It was pretty cool. My complexion was flawless for a while there, i got to tell you. It was pretty cool. But I didn't stay sober. And, um, and we, we, as we talked about last night, there was not, not anybody trying to keep me from getting sober. Everybody was trying to help me as much as possible. But I'm coming from that perspective of frustration. I want to get well, and I can't seem to get well because I'm doing what you're doing. I'm going to the same meetings you're going to, and you're staying sober, and I'm not. And I don't understand why. You will follow. I'm working a treatment center, and all these cats that come to that hospital where I work, they're all—they've all tried AA and NA and Cocaine Anonymous, all the twelve-step fellowships, and they're back in the treatment again, high-dollar, wanting to get well again. And I don't understand why I got sober in AA finally. Why can't they? And so. Some of you guys, we were talking about it at breakfast. Some of you guys landed in groups, in rooms where the solution was there for you. You got sober, and you're sitting there scratching your head saying, what's all the pissing and moaning about? I mean, this thing works great. I don't see a problem. You, you were lucky that you landed in that spot. Because i got to tell you guys, we, we travel around a bunch. Most weekends, I'm in an airport going someplace, and it's like it, it is it, – there. It, the solution has been so – absolutely hidden in most places. So I'm not taking any kind of shots. We're just, what we're trying to do this morning and and today, we're going to kind of take you through the steps at a pretty, pretty quick pace because we believe that's how you're going to take a newcomer through. There's plenty of time to sit down and read word for word with a newcomer. I do that with some of the guys I sponsor and some of the cats that have got some sobriety. We go back and look at the steps at a little different. There's lots of ways to do this. But but initially going in the door, when you've got a little newcomer coming in, he's a little fried pie and he wants to get well, we don't have time, I think. I believe understanding what the big book says, we don't have time to be messing around with this too long. We need to kind of get them from point A to point B, get them on some good solid ground at a pretty quick pace. I think the number one mistake we make in Alcoholics Anonymous today is that we don't qualify the alcoholic. We, we, we go too slow getting people through the work. If the solution is the 12 steps and that's what gets us to God and God's what gets us sober, then why in the living daylights would we want to tell anybody to go slow? I mean, I, I just, I blatantly say it from the podium, if you're telling people to take their time to do this work, you need to stop saying that because it's not helping anybody. I know it sounds good and it gets you off the hook because you don't have to hear a fist step next weekend, but... <laughs> <laughs> y'all understand that when a guy comes up to you and he says, take your time? That's what that means. If you want the translation, take your time means I don't have time to screw with you. That's exactly what it means. If you don't have time, tell somebody you don't have time and move on. But the big book says in chapter 5, talking about working with others, I mean, uh, uh, how it works, it says, says we we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. And that's what it's trying to say. Everybody translates that to take your time. No, I don't. I want you to do a four-step, guys, and I want you to do it really, really quick. And I want you to be fearless and thorough. I just don't want you to take six months to do it. Y'all follow? There's a guy named William White uh, over in... um, Florida wrote a great article. He also wrote one of the books, some of y'all are aware of a, a book called Slaying the Dragon. It's a history of treatment in, the, in this country of, of alcoholism. And fascinating book. This guy is. is I, he's, I wish I could call him a friend I just I, I know him I've talked to him but I he's just a, a what a wonderful man and he writes but well, one of his articles that he wrote about he talks about this little window of opportunity and he talks about this transformational change that needs to take place this this change that's going to take place is necessary for the alcoholic of our variety the real alcoholic the real little dope feed and the other fellowships they're going to have to have this thing called a spiritual experience but he explains this that happens is that this window is is going to only be open for a short period of time how many of Y'all have ever heard that? Y'all, some of y'all have heard me speak before. You know where I'm going with this. Everybody talks about the pink cloud, right? How many of you guys, Bill, we, we were talking about it last night. You know, you come in and everything's great and you start feeling good and it's like, holy shit, this is great. I should have done this ages ago. You with us? And then you get comfortable and don't do anything because you think this is going to last. That that experience it's, it's, it's not a pink cloud, guys. It's called God's grace. And some of you guys are going to have weeks of it. Some of you guys are going to have months of it. Just God's grace, not doing anything, going to some meetings, feeling great. You'll follow, and then gradually, for some of us, very quickly, for some of us, that little window closes. And one minute I'm okay, and the next minute I'm thinking about suicide again, and I feel like I worth. You're with us, okay? The window's closing. Now, now, had I done the steps when I was feeling good, kicking butt, taking names, I'd have been on some solid ground now. But I didn't. Nothing treated the alcoholism. I'm still suffering from untreated alcoholism. Going to meetings every day, whatever it is, makes sense. But but now I'm coming apart at the seams. And what happens when Chris Raymer comes apart at the seams? When the obsession to use comes back, what do you do? Those of you that know what this is about, you you drink. Yeah, I call my sponsor. You might remember your sponsor's phone number. You might not remember your own phone number. When you get caught in that mental blank spot that the book talks about, you're off to the stupid races. And that's basically what we're going to talk about this week. We're talking triage here. We're talking about how to get somebody through the steps real quick. Now, I got to get this out real real quick, and we're going to move on. So I know some of you guys have got a sponsor that's worked with you, and my sponsor took a year taking me through the steps very methodically. I read every word in the big book, and I'm proud of you. I'm not knocking that. Keep doing that. But the guy that you try to do that with the next little guy you sponsor is may or may not have that much time to screw around the, the if the big book intended for us to go slow I think it would have said go slow I, I think I in the same breath if the big book wanted us to go to 90 meetings in 90 days I think it would have said go to 90 meetings in 90 days it didn't it said pull the finger out understand the urgency of this deal, work the steps, try to have the spiritual experience as quick as you can so that you can recover and get out there and help us help somebody else get well. You'll follow that whole circle. So that's where we're at. I needed to show you this. I, I, I brought my own coffee coaster guy up, uh, up in the East. Uh, uh, a guy named, a guy named Brent made this for me and, uh, Ross, you need to make some of these. You can sell them. You know, a little fundraiser. This is. Uh, we finally we had cases of these damn books laying around, and we finally found something we could use for them. You know, and it's 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 taped shut so you can't open it. You know, because. Oh, <laughs> st- so it won't scratch up your beautiful furniture. I see. See, Some of y'all are sitting there laughing because you know the joke. And some of you are sitting back there going, that's one of my favorite books. (laughs) (laughs) If there's any one piece of literature in Alcoholics Anonymous that will confuse the shit out of you, it's Living Sober. And I hope if AA ever hears a copy of this tape, like every talk I've done in the last two years, please understand, that book is a laughing joke in the industry. It's a laughing joke in recovery land. We should discontinue it. We should not print it. Our AA dollars should not go to print that crap. Why don't you say what you mean, Chris? How do you feel about it? Oh, my gosh. I got some little handouts out here I don't have enough for everybody so uh if uh I figured it up in the mountains a little big book workshop we'd have 10 of you show up so but here we go so I brought some and they're little uh, websites that we have uh, uh collected over the years little thumper websites that talk about recovery and there's some pretty good stuff in there and you can snag a copy one of those websites is uh 12stepstudy.org and uh it's a, it's a pretty cool little website out there. But there's an article on there called uh, Three Views. If y'all get a chance to get on your internet, you'll need to look this thing up. It's, 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 it's one of the best articles out there that talks about what's happened in our, in our recovery um, land. The three views that this article talks about uh, is basically what's taking place in our meetings today. Uh, you've, got, um, you've got the psychological view, you'll follow. How many of y'all watch CNN and you got that little guy that talks to you go about going to that nice big uh, treatment center out here in California, you'll follow, to deal with some issues? The psychological view out there in recovery is that you're drinking because of a problem that you're having, an issue, and you're going to come to treatment and we're going to fix that issue and then you won't have anything to drink over anymore. Make sense? It's like if you're drinking because you're working too much, then we're going to help you figure out a way so that you don't have to work so much and then you don't have anything to drink over. (laughs) Rock on, huh? How cool is that? But you see, that's not my case. I, I drank when I was unemployed. I drank when I was employed, you know? I drank when she was there. I drank when she wasn't there. It's the same story, second verse. And, um, and we all understand that. I'm not knocking the psychological view. I think a lot of us can, can use and benefit. I think I'll, I'll change that. I think every one of us can benefit from good psychology, good therapy. I tell you, if you haven't seen a therapist, you need to. I, they're the bomb. They won't get you sober, but they're the bomb. No, it's, it's, it's the coolest. Second view is the resocialization. This is the predominant view of most 12-step groups, the resocialization. They believe that the problem is not uh, alcoholism or drug addiction. The problem is the alcohol and the drug. And then if I can just learn not to drink it, do it, then I'll be okay, which is the common sense of just say no. If you don't drink the first one you won't get drunk. You'll follow? And that's where we come with this idea. 90 meetings in 90 days, you stay connected. We're going to keep you so busy that you won't have time to go drink. Resocialization. You'll follow? Come to meetings. We're going to love you until you can love yourself. Oh my god. <laughs> I got to tell you in the early days of Alcoholics Anonymous for me, I got some good loving. But I didn't stay sober. <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous, the big book, talks about a thing called a conversion, a conversion experience. We're talking about the thing called a spiritual experience. And that's the problem, is that everybody out there is afraid, not everybody, a lot of people out there are afraid to talk about this conversion. Because they can come into these rooms and they can do some therapy and get some temporary relief. And they can come in here and they can get re-socialized and learn a new way and, you know, party with with the buds. Go bowling and crap and feel some temporary relief. They think that's the way to recover. But if you're the real alcoholic, the real dope fiend in these other fellowships, you're going to have to have this conversion method. Bill Wilson doesn't mince any bones about it. This thing is unapologetically about God. And everybody bristles, well, we don't, we, we just, it's God of your own understanding. We're going to talk about that later. But guys, please, this is what this is about. Make sense? That's, there's two reasons you're going to relapse, buddies. There's only two reasons. For those of you in treatment, you'll, you'll vehemently disagree with this because everybody has fed you the line of BS. There's many triggers out there that could cause you to drink. Absolute horse stuff, hockey. <laughs> it's not, no, listen, this is just not true. There's two reasons that you'll relapse. One, you don't know the problem. If you don't know the problem, you're going to keep walking into the same cul-de-sac. Make sense? Second reason, you don't know the solution. You don't know how to quit walking into the cul-de-sac. Now, those are the only two reasons. I hear people all the time. There's a great article that we got when when Hurricane Ike came through Texas, and there's a big front page in the Houston Chronicle. Hurricane Ike causes many problems in in the recovering community. You'll follow? There's just one more excuse. What about the thousands of recovered alcoholics in Houston, Texas, that didn't drink when Ike came through? But because a few did, they want to blame the hurricane for the relapses. You follow? And we laugh about it, but how many of us, in, I've done it, blamed the woman, well, I lost my job, or this happened, or this happened. None of that caused you to relapse, folks. What caused you to relapse is you didn't do the things necessary to recover, to get well, and then when the stuff came at you, you didn't have the power to walk through it with grace and dignity. Does that make sense? Guys, we've got to get on the same page before I can make, go any farther. Y'all understand this. When the obsession to drink comes back, I'm going to drink. This is about permanent recovery. This means that the obsession to drink will eventually go away if you do certain things. I know that's a novel idea. All we have is today. Tomorrow I could be drunk. No, I don't think that's what the big book's saying. It's certainly not my experience. You do the work, you get well. And you can go kick butt and take names. We got the big deal in treatment. That's the big, big deal. Well, what do you do? It's your lifestyle that's causing you to drink. Those kids at school are causing you to drink. So what are you going to do? Quit school? You saved all your life? Your folks got a second mortgage on the house? Everything was planned for you to go to school, but you can't go now because the kids that you go to school with are drinking? It's got nothing to do with why you drank. If it did, you're not one of us. Make sense? guy over here in San Diego said it best. He says, I finally figured out the perfect trigger. It's called consciousness. <laughs> but, but isn't it the truth? that's why I started listening to country western music they said Chris that rock music keeps triggering you every time you listen to Pink Floyd you go get loaded <laughs> like I never did any drinking on Merle Haggard's time oh my, oh my gosh So the idea, when these guys in 1987, they sat me down at the table that night, and then early the next morning, we finished it up. But they set me down at that table, and for the first time in seven years, they opened a big book, and they said, Chris, we need to qualify you. I know that you're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous if you say you're a member. Okay, that's great. Rock on. But but we're supposed to, our first job is to qualify you to find out if you're the real McCoy. Because if we don't do this paperwork now, what's going to happen is downstream, you're going to crap out. Make sense? Treatment centers, what they do is they remove the urgency. We're, we're masters in the, in the treatment centers of getting you in there. You're going to stay for 30 days, 45 days. We're going to get you nice and comfortable. We're going to let you work some of the steps. You're going to get some relief. you with us? Again, it's you want relief or release. It's two different things. But we're going to get you some relief in treatment, and you're going to leave feeling much better. You know, but, but you're not going to be on solid ground because you haven't finished all of the work yet Okay, so we take the urgency away and that's why so many of you go home and just sit on your butt I'm the one sitting at the hospital doing the statistical work, calling these cats on the phone how many of them in 90 days half our community will be drunk in 90 days I mean these are cats that wanted to stay sober, they spent a whole bunch of time and a whole bunch of money coming to that hospital good place to be, but they didn't stay sober 90 days, why? because they thought that that was going to fix them, see and it, they didn't finish the commitment. They committed to come to treatment, they committed to work the steps, and then they got to feeling good, and that's what we do. This is, this is my response to feeling good. <laughs> And yet the book keeps talking about action, action, more action, let's get going. And I did that a thousand times. I was talking to a couple of guys last night that were having trouble staying sober. And I mean, that's so, so often what we do. It's not that I don't want to stay sober, but every time I've relapsed, that's exactly what the old timers in the group would, would, they throw it right back in my life. Well, you just didn't want to stay sober. Well, you just didn't want to stay sober. Well, goddamn, did, did you tell anybody how to stay sober? Is the best we heard was keep coming back? Is that all we heard? Because if that's all we heard, then shame on us as a fellowship. Did anybody just hook you around the neck and sit you down? In 1987, these guys set me down in a chair. Chris, we know you don't feel good right now. We know you're kind of banged up. But we really need to do this because we need to find out if you're going to stay, stay this time. Because we want you to stay. You come and you go. You come and you go. You gotta, you're going to die doing this. You need to come for, for keeps. The big book tells us to ask you the questions. Are you willing to go to any length? Are you done for good? I, don't, I know you don't have the power to stay sober on your own power because you're done. That's called willpower. I know you don't have that. I'm, we're just asking you, if your heart in, right now tonight is in the right place, are you willing to commit? I said yes. And they started showing me what an alcoholic looked like, guys, and they turned it. We were talking to one of the sisters this morning. They we were talking about, they turned to page 44 in the big book. This is the summation of the first few pages of the book, there's 20 pages from 23 to 43 that talks about the mental obsession. In the preceding chapters, this is the chapter of the agnostics, 44. In the preceding chapters, we have learned something about alcoholism. We hope we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. Bill Wilson cares. Everybody gets their tackles up. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We shouldn't ju- Bill Wilson cares. Over and over in the book, he talks about, how about on page 21 and 20, he talks about the, the moderate drinker and the hard drinker, but what about the real alcoholic? He wants us to make sure that we're working with the cats that are the real McCoy. Well, I don't know if I'm a real alcoholic. You need to find out. Somebody needs to qualify you and help you. Otherwise, you're just going to do be a piss-poor example of this downstream. We've got to help you figure out so that sense of urgency comes back. Here's what what Bill Wilson's saying. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, power of choice. Or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably alcoholic. He's still being very diplomatic here. He didn't want to jam this down anybody's throat, but he's being pretty explicit about this. Choice and control. You with us? A.A. in subsequent years, they, they, they confuse the bejesus out of this. They, they spend the first 60 pages trying to explain what an alcoholic is, trying to explain it, and it boils down to two questions. When you put alcohol in your body, can you control how much you put in there? Does the phenomenon of craving kick in at times and make you end up drinking more than you intended? And when you're detoxed and it's completely out of your system... Can you not put the first one in your body? Do you have the power to choose not to put it in your body again? you will follow? Two questions. Then you come into an AA meeting, any place in the place, look it up, there's got 44 questions. 44. Why? How did we get from two questions, pretty explicit, to 44 questions? Did, I, did you ever have a... Oh, Do you ever hide liquor? Do you ever... Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Two questions. Questions. It's that simple, folks. Normal people don't have the phenomena called craving, guys. The doctor's opinion up in the front. Dr. Silkworth was a neurologist in Towns Hospital for sixteen years. This guy, he started seeing similarities between other people who were coming in. He'd see he'd see young people come in, he'd see old geezers come in. I mean, look around this room, guys. You got a cross section of humanity in this room. We got some drop dead gorgeous, we got some some butt ugly, we got Really smart, really not so smart. You know, we got a lot of we got a lot of lot of people in this room, cross section. But the thing that ties us together, guys, is not that stupid drama. Some of you guys have been way more burned from this disease than some of us others. Some of us are we're, we're just smarter than that. I mean, good heavens. <laughs> But that's not what ties us together. It's the drama. It's not. It's, it's despite what you think. What ties us together is the commonality with the craving and the mental obsession, and that's what we have to look at. That's why it drives me crazy. I want you to find me a sponsor, Chris. I want you to find me uh, somebody I can relate to. I'm a mother, and I and I, she has to have kids, and I like shut the why. <laughs> we don't gonna we, this is not about you and your being a mother and your kid this is somebody that's had an experience with God they, you need a spiritual experience and here you are y'all understand where we're at see some of you don't agree with that I need a professional to work with I had, a, had a guy Thursday before I got on the plane to come over I got a, an absolute guy I need somebody with at least 15 years of sobriety why? I'd rather send you just little knuckleheads over here with nine months of sobriety on fire with the, with the, with the power of God from working the steps than some old crusty, burned-out 15-year-old sober guy. So why would I... Y'all understand? That is etched in stone. Show me in the book where it says you've got to be sober a whole lot of time before you start sponsoring. Buddies, I'm going to tell you now. We'll cut to the chase. If you ain't sponsoring somebody the time you're six months sober, somebody's holding you back. And we need your help. We're not your answer man. We're not therapists. All we're there to to do is to show you how to have a spiritual experience. Get your own damn therapist. You'll follow? Your own banker. Your own doctor. Your own love guide. (laughs) (laughs) Love guide. Dr. Silkworth started seeing similarities, guys. and He started seeing these things that were taking place. Everybody that was coming in there... Once they started putting alcohol or dope in their bodies, this stuff was kicking in and they were ending up doing too much. And they, they understood that the body was was metabolizing these chemicals different than normal. Today we have all the proof to back that up with, a, with, a, with a, 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 a MRIs and the new technology that's been out there the last seven years. I guarantee you, we, you can see the areas of the brain. Guys, do you all realize that the areas of the brain that are affected by alcoholism is not this frontal lobe? The decision-making stuff of do I want to drink or not, do I want to drink, you with us? All the decision-making frontal, that's not what... What lights up. What lights up with us when we see a drink is the midbrain, is the primitive brain. Y'all, y'all down with that? Dr. McCauley gives this great example cop goes into a bar, and he sees you with a gun over there, right? He's over there going to talk to you. He's trying to talk you down. He's using the front part of his brain to try to talk you down, to reason with you. You pull the gun and aim it at the cop. You with us? The cop is not using the front part of his brain anymore. Immediately, the primitive brain, the midbrain, lights up like a neon sign. You with us? That's fright or flight. This is this is, in, in, this is love up here. This is pokey pokey back here. Y'all understand? <laughs> This is, that's how that works in case you, this is not something that you have control over. Your brain is is wired different than normal people. And when I, this alcohol, once we're hardwired in, we're, we're there. And this disease will continue to progress and it'll get worse. Dr. Silkworth could see that. Everybody wants to talk about alcoholism is a disease. Everybody. The most resistant therapist probation officer, judge I ever talked to understands the physical piece. Even Oprah understands. Oh, I understand you little alcoholics. Once you start to drink, you can't stop. But you certainly have the power over drinking the first one. Y'all realize that those of you that are making sounds, y'all are with me. Y'all understand what the book says. But the world out there doesn't understand that. If all I had to do was worry about the physical craving, then we would get you detoxed. Good, solid detox. It's different for everybody depending on what you're coming off of. Cocaine detox is different. Same stuff with alcohol, with, with crack, with, with, the, with the barbiturates. Horrible, uh, torturous uh, souls in our hospital today coming off those fucking pills that are everywhere. The next big wave, guys, that you see coming at you, remember the, the crack in the 80s? You know, it was on every cover of every magazine? It's the pills now. And, it's just, and we haven't even seen the tip of it yet. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be horrendous. Doctors are prescribing that shit like left and right. And we're losing thousands of our good members of Alcoholics Anonymous through a prescription pad. We're seeing it time and time again. And every, why are they taking the pills? Because they've stopped doing the work. I just feel depressed. When's the last time you worked with somebody? Oh, ten years. We can laugh, but it's pretty sad, actually. Damn sad. Top of page 23, it says, The observations, these observations. From the doctor's opinion up to page 23, all we are doing is talking about the physical phenomena called craving. These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend just never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. You with us? I was an apprentice, uh, I was a, a commie in, uh, in Atlanta, in a hotel in Atlanta, Georgia, and the chef dropped a case of monkfish in front of me and asked me to clean them, and I know how to clean a fish, but I'd never seen a monkfish before. Any of you guys have ever seen them? They're just, it's like, they're just like one big head with a little tail on them, and they're covered with this slimy, snotty, purple stuff, and uh, it's a... Uh, and I stuck my knife into this little guy's back the gills, and this, that purple snot stuff came up on my white chef coat, and I, I got a little dizzy, and <laughs> I said, I, you know, um, and I went and talked to him. I said, buddy, I just, I, and he said, I know, some people are affected that way. Don't worry about it. Go, go do something else, and I'll get somebody else to clean it. That was 30 years ago. Do you, you know how many monkfish I've even been near in 30 years? No. <laughs> Buddies, if I see them in the, in the, in the fish case at, at the store, I'll walk, I'll do this. <laughs> Given sufficient reason, Chris Raymer doesn't want to mess with monkfish. Can he do that? Absolutely. I do it every day, guys. Given sufficient reason, I don't want to eat that food or wear those kind of clothes or, or, or wear that kind of perfume. I have, my life is full of choices, folks. But what I couldn't choose to do or not do was revolved around the alcohol. And this is where the world shifts. Everybody believes that alcoholics truly, our judicial system in the United States is built on this idea of punishment. I'm going to put you in jail, hun, until you get tired of going to jail. And one day you'll come out and say, you know what? This going to jail may have something to do with the alcohol and dope, and I'm not going to do that anymore. Wow, how cool. Most of the people in jail there, guys... 85% of those cats, they, they'll do that eventually. They'll just get wore out. You follow? Alcoholics and addicts of our variety, you can put us in jail till the cows come home. And the first thing I'm going to do when I get out is go get a drink talking to a friend of ours that we first started drinking with a billion years ago in high school. He lost his license after three DWIs and ended up doing a couple of years in jail. You with us? I said, buddy, Edward, come down to the meetings with us. It's just, you live in the same town. Come down to the meetings. He says, no, I've solved the problem. I don't have to worry about drinking anymore. I said, what? What do you mean? See that bicycle out there? (laughs) Yeah, that's mine. That's how he's going to stay out of jail. Why don't you stop drinking and get you a car? Oh, no. (laughs) Y'all understand? Because this is a bear to quit. And that's what I got to say this now. Any of you guys that ever made an attempt to quit, and I'm going to tell you, it's congratulations. Thanks for screwing up the courage to do this. And you guys that keep coming back time and time again, thanks for not giving up. You're going to get it. It makes me want to cry. Turn the page, 24, the mean page. You want to hear dead silence in your AA meeting? Bring this as a topic. <laughs> Turn to page 24. Top page, italicized. Bill Wilson wants us to see it. Mark this, guys. The fact is that most alcoholics, here is he is trying to be diplomatic again, all alcoholics. Most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory and suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. Wow. You think Bill Wilson means that? The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowding your mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we're going to handle ourselves like other people. There is the complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. Makes sense? In every kitchen I ever worked in, guys, the first thing you do is you walk in and you're going to burn yourself on the stove because every one of those damn things are set at a different level. You know what I'm saying? You're going to reach in the stove, you're going to burn yourself and go and automatically k- k- reset everything and say, I'm not going to do that again. And you don't. You, have the, you, you learn not to do these things. But why do we keep doing it? That's why everybody just thinks we're behaving badly. Everybody wants to make alcoholism sound like it's a behavioral problem. You're just acting out. No, listen, folks. This is a form of mental illness. You're sitting in this room. I got a guy in my AA meeting. He he doesn't show up very often, but when he does, he got sober in Houston. And he had a guy with 30 years sober tell him that he got up this morning and chose not to drink. And that's how he introduces himself. Hi, my name is, and I got up this morning and chose not to drink. Hmm. No shit. What are you doing here then? Because if you can choose not to do this, it's what drives me crazy. Bill, we were talking about it last night. You know, you go out and you fall and you show your butt and you come back in you relapse. And the first thing I really want to ask you is, well, why didn't you call me? Well, look on page 24. It says, you're not going to remember the consequences of even a week or a month ago. That's why it drives me crazy when we spend an inordinate amount of times in our meetings with these old sad War stories, slinging snot, crying. You don't want to end up like me, do you? And everybody wants to help. They do it with the young adults till the cows come home. Everybody, old geezer, come and turn his chair right straight at the young little 18-year-old. You don't want to end up like me, going to prison for 10 years. Stop that. You're not helping anybody. You're, did you remember that? Of course not. So what makes you think he's going to remember that? You can't scare us in. You've got to understand what the disease is. You want to know what your bottom is? It's not the next DWI. It's not that car wreck. It's not being life-flighted to the hospital. The bottom is understanding that you have a fatal progressive illness called alcoholism. And that's as low as you'll ever go. And you don't have to drink 20 years to get there. All you have to do is look at your truth based on your experience. When I put alcohol in my body, does it sometimes get away from me and I end up drinking more than I intended? How many of you guys ever woke up puking your guts out, wiping your mouth saying, I'm never going to do that again? Yeah, yeah. Sitting at that bar drinking. Come back, out of that, come back out of that bathroom at that bar, wiping your mouth saying, God, it must have been that chicken. <laughs> Let me have another drink. Oh, my gosh. What? It had to do maybe with the 12-pack you drank before you ate that chicken, you know? This is the craving. You didn't intend to drink that much. Come on, guys. I like Coca-Cola, too, but I've never drank a 12-pack in an afternoon. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? It's the craving. Because Coca-Cola doesn't trigger the craving with me. Alcohol does. I remember Myers one time. We were at a party drinking. And he says, God, he says I'm so full. And we had been drinking all afternoon long. And there was a milk carton down. It was a step out of this old brickety house. And there was a milk carton out there. And he stepped on the side of that milk carton. and fell flat on his ass. And he, you could hear it like a watermelon. You know, if you drop a watermelon. And it hit, boom. And all you could hear was, <laughs> I'll never forget it. And he's like a geyser exploding. <laughs> it shook up all that beer. Come on, why would anybody drink that much alcohol? <laughs> Boy, that, one, that last one hit the spot. No, and I'm going to get another one, you know. And it's like, uh, we're out of beer, Chris. Well, I see some empties around here. We'll just pour them all together and drink them. <laughs> Pour through some pair of pantyhose like that and you set you sift and then you and some of y'all have never done that you're lying like a dog <laughs> why okay yeah, because the craving is not over yet you'll stop when the craving is ended how many of you guys ever went to, got, oh, to the refrigerator and opened it up and drank one or two drinks and uh, and then just set a half one down by the bed and went just went on to bed i've done it a thousand million times Y'all follow? The big book doesn't say every time you drink the craving kicks in. It says at certain times the craving kicks in. That's where your head wants to go. I'm not an alcoholic. I can remember thousands of times I just drank two and went to bed. Me too. Functioning alcoholic. Makes sense, guys? I'm asking you to remember the times that you knew damn good and well you shouldn't be drinking that much and you did it anyway. You think you chose to do that? And then the stuff hits the fan and you tell them I'm gonna quit. Wife comes up, and says, "Betty, you're scaring the daylights out of me. Would you, honey? I was, I, was just fixing to quit. I'm done. You're. I'll pour that. I'm done. You think you got the power to pull that off? And three days later, you're coming up with an excuse to drink. You with this, honey? You need some cigarettes? I'll go get you some. <laughs> oh my god! And you come back the next day. From 23 to 43." Uh, pages that seem to get lost, uh, some of the best pages in there that talk specifically about uh, this mental blank spot. From, again, from the title page up to page 23, we talk about what happens once we put the stuff in our system. From 23 to 43, those 20 pages, all we're doing is talking about when the stuff's not in our system, why can't we leave it out of our system? Make sense? That's the crux of the problem that Bill Wilson's talking about, is this mental obsession that tells me it's okay to drink. How many times do these women come to our hospital, with Child Protective Services has already been called, all they got to do is leave the alcohol and the dope alone, and, and CPS will go away. But they don't have the power on their own. They believe that the love of their kids is going to be enough to stop them from drinking. But they can't pull it off and they drink again. You will follow? we got cats in there right now on liver transplant lists. They've got a, a, a certified, bona fide death sentence facing them. All you've got to do to stay on the liver transplant list is to not drink. But they don't have the power to pull it off. Make sense? But you've got idiots like, like commentators on national news... This guy that introduces himself as a recovering alcoholic on his talk show, he said on Larry King, what gets me about these celebrity folks is, hey, we have a choice whether to drink or not. Just get up and make the choice not to drink. It's that simple. And we sit here in Alcoholics Anonymous and let that kind of crap happen. Somebody ought to write this guy and eat his ass, but nobody's going to say anything. Alcoholics Anonymous is certainly not. Up there with millions of people listening, they call alcoholism a disease, and in the very next sentence, but you have a choice whether you're going to do it or not. Now listen, folks, if you have a choice whether you're going to do this or not, this is not a disease. This is a behavioral problem, and a lot of people are like that. I drink because I'm in a bad relationship. Get out of the relationship. I don't drink anymore. Then you're not an alcoholic. Go to Al-Anon. We need you there. No, we don't. <laughs> we got a lady, la- lady came up after, a, after, a, after a, a talk I did, and I was talking about the... Uh, me getting off all the meds and says, Chris, but you don't understand this, the medications that saved my life. I said, I don't understand. He says, I was having trouble sleeping and the doctors gave me sleep meds and I've never drank since. And I says, Whoa, 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 Everybody gets their own story, but run that by me again. You stopped drinking because you were drinking because you couldn't sleep. That's right. I'm an insomniac and I can't sleep. And that's why that's why you were drinking. Uh-huh. And the doctor gave you ambien, and so now you're taking the sleep medication and you're not drinking anymore. That's right, and I've been, so, I, I've been sober 15 years, <laughs> so's my cat. <laughs> Y'all understand this? If you can stop because of that, you don't have to have the spiritual experience, you don't have to work the steps, you with me? But this woman is sponsoring 10 or 15 women. Now what's, what do you think the first thing that woman's telling the people that she sponsors? I've got this doctor, and listen, let me tell you, he's got these pills, and I guarantee you don't have to worry about sleeping because we're going to fix you. Oh, my God. And she can get away with it because she's not even one of us, but the little alcoholic she's sponsoring will be triggered back into relapse through the pills. Make sense, guys? Misinformation. Misinformation. I do not have a choice, 21 years sober, to drink or not drink. I have a choice. What's our choice, guys? To do the work. Our choice is to seek the spiritual solution. That's what we're going to do. I'm going to read something to you real quick. There's there's three stories in here in this in these 20 pages, three four stories. One of them, of course, is the Jaywalker. It's fictitious. It's true, true. Welcome, Jaywalkers, and it's true for us. But it's based on a fictitious guy. I, the rest of these were true uh, were true guys. Jim, the uh, the car salesman. Fred, the businessman. You'll follow. Our first example is a friend we're going to call Jim, it's on page 35. This cat's got a charming wife and family, he's inherited a lucrative automobile agency, he's got a commendable war record, he's a good salesman. Everybody likes him. He's an intelligent man, normal so far as we can see except for a nervous disposition. What did he describe, a high-bottom drunk or a low-bottom drunk? High-bottom. Guy's rich. He's 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 got he's 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 a good egg. He did no drinking until he was 35, but in a few years he became so violent when intoxicated he had to be committed. On leaving the asylum, he came into contact with us. Who's us? Alcoholics Alcoholics Anonymous. We told him what we knew about alcoholism and the answer we had found. He made a beginning. Several places in the book, guys, in the stories, it talks about he made a beginning. That means he did a third step prayer. That's what that means. You'll follow. His family was reassembled, and he began to work as a salesman for the business he had lost through drinking. All went well for a time. See it? But he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Up in Bill's story, it says that we're going to enlarge our spiritual life by doing what? Work work and self-sacrifice for others, working with others. That's why I'm telling you it is not an option to go work with somebody else in your own way. To his consternation, he found himself drunk a half a dozen times in rapid succession. On each of these occasions, we worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. He agreed he was a real alcoholic and in serious condition. He knew he faced another trip to the asylum if he kept on. Moreover, he's gonna lose his family of which he had deep affection. Yet, top of page 36, he got drunk again. We asked him to tell you what happened. This is his story. I came to work on a Tuesday morning. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. Did this guy get up and pray and meditate this morning? Get grateful? And No, I don't think so. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. He told the boss to kiss his butt, didn't he? (laughs) Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects for a car. Any of you guys in sales ever do that? Yeah. I'm going to go sell something. All I want to do is just ride around the loop and and listen to the radio real loud. I I don't want to sell anything. I'm pissed. I just thought I'd get a sandwich. I stopped at this roadside place. I also had a notion I might find a, cus- a customer for a car in a place. I'd been there many times during, during those years. Uh, no big deal. I'm paraphrasing. I sat down at the table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. This freaks me out that an adult would order a glass of milk anyway, but that's, <laughs> that's another lecture altogether. Much than yeah. Still no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. With us, middle paragraph, italics, Best word in the book, ah. suddenly, God, suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in the milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. I ordered the whiskey and poured it into the milk. I vaguely sensed I wasn't being any too smart, but felt reassured since I was taking a whiskey on a full stomach. The experiment went so well, I ordered another whiskey and poured it into the milk. That didn't seem to bother me, so I tried another. But I'm bummed. Thus started one more journey for Jim. He had much knowledge about himself on the very bottom. As an alcoholic, yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey only if he mixed it with milk. You got this? Maybe I misread that. Let me look at this real quick. Still no thought of drinking. I ordered a sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. Suddenly, the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in the milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. (gasps) Realizing I was on shaky ground, I ran to my glove compartment and got my Gorski relapse workbook grid out (laughs) and realized I I had been triggered by that restaurant and I had been in relapse mode for weeks. I called my sponsor and it averted disaster. <laughs> oh, oh, buddies. I just, bless his heart. I mean, come on. This is the deal, guys. Our families think that we're going to be able to one day remember the consequences. you will follow? Remember that picture out of treatment when you were detoxing and you put it on your refrigerator. And I never want to forget. We got people in AA meetings today, killing people, telling them, if you can't remember your last drink, you haven't, probably haven't had it. The book is telling you right here, you're not going to remember your last drink. You're not going to remember the consequences of a week or a month ago. So what's this crap? This absolute crap of trying to remember what it was like back in the old. I don't ever want to forget the pain. I, that's your right to not forget it or remember it. Whatever you want to do, y'all understand this. But it's not going to stop you in what the book calls strange mental blank spots. If you can stop remembering the pain and make it stick, you're not one of us. Y- y'all with us? My little sister was at a sorority party one time. I was with her in in Huntsville. She was at a keg party. She got sick at the keg, b- b- arched, and said, I'm never going to do that again. And, you know, I've never seen her loaded again. She she will always remember that one time. You with us? Fred, the, the, the businessman. It, it was one of the favorite lines in the book. I'll read this and let you guys run. It's the next page over. Yeah. If you got any questions, y'all get them lined up. I went to the ho- it says, on page 41, it says, I was pleased and knew my partners would be too. It was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. You follow? This is what treatment centers are trying to get all of us as, as patients to get to. We want to get you to a perfect place so there's nothing to drink over. But how many of you guys drank when it was, when it was perfect? How many of you drank when it was crap? How we? The- well, Chris, that's what happened. Things didn't, things got too good. Oh my gosh. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to, I don't want it to get too bad, but I don't want it to get too good. I just want it to get really mediocre, boring right in the middle, and then I can say sober. Come on, guys. What I gotta do is get taken to a place so that the obsession goes away, real quick internally there's a thing called a spiritual malady and the big book talks about it these little issue man pins i got some extras if y'all want to snag one little issue man issue woman pins but these little pins they got a little dark spot in the center and that's the spiritual malady folks all the little x's are the stuff on the outside don't anybody hear me say ever that your external stuff's not important your issues if if, if i grind anybody that's usually where it is well he says that, that because i was hurt as a child that that's not important oh I'm, i've never said something so stupid from the podium I, I've never even thought it. We, a lot of us in here have been hurt, folks. But if that's why you're drinking, you're not one of us. So, we, so what we want to do is we want to look at that external stuff. But we want to understand it's the internal stuff that's causing the problem. Fred's, it was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. There's no issues, there's no circumstances. And yet his head says, as he crosses the threshold of the dining room, perhaps a couple of cocktails would be nice. You follow? And he, get, and he starts to drink and the craving kicks in and he's off to the races. What we have to treat is untreated alcoholism. What we have to treat is the spiritual malady. Unmanageability, they talk about in the first step. Untreated alcoholism, spiritual malady, are all the same thing. That's what has to be treated. Y'all follow? The unmanageability in your life is not your bills. It's not your husband. Not your kids. The unmanageability is this internal discomfort that the book talks about on page 52. The bedevilments. Depression. Anxiety. Low self-esteem. Feeling of uselessness. Y'all with us? That's the stuff that needs to be treated. And I can't treat that. And no doctor can treat that. And no pill's going to treat that. That's what God does. God will take that and run with it. Make sense? Who's got, who's got questions, first step stuff, preferably? No? I'm either probably the best teacher on earth or we've got you guys intimidated <laughs> at hell. <laughs> I hear people all the time when they come to, this, to the hospital. Well, my sponsor said I, had, I did first step when I came to this hospital. You'll follow? I did first step when I walked in the room. Bill Wilson spends 100 pages describing all 12 steps. 60 of those pages are on first step. He's crystal clear that we need to understand what's truly wrong with us. Once you know that, nothing can stop you. You're out of treatment, you're sober two years, and you get loaded. Why? Not you're not working with anybody. You stop... You, you stopped working the steps. You stopped growing spiritually. Would you all agree with that? Yeah. Second part of that question. Why did you stop doing that? S- sister said it. You don't think you're an alcoholic. How many times have I talked to those people? I know I'm an alcoholic. I know I'm an alcoholic. But yet you stopped doing the work. Make sense? When it came back time to re-up and chair the new meeting or whatever, you flipped it to somebody else, you got rid of all the people you sponsor because now i got me a little girlfriend and a little wife and everything's good and I don't have time to do that anymore. You obviously think that your case is just a little bit different. You follow? Come on, confused. got You got confused between the journey and the destination. But I'm bummed. It's the truth. Makes sense? That's why at 21 years, I still go to some meetings every week. I sponsor. I have a sponsor. I'm doing the same thing I did now, if not more, than I did 10 years ago. I want more. My sponsor says it a thousand times. Chris, how, how, how free do you want to be? Do you want to just not drink one stupid day at a time? Or do you want to be free to go kick butt and take names and finally become the person that God wanted you to be? It takes effort to do that. That's why so many people don't do it. The spiritual path is open and roomy. Anybody can get on it, but it's a bitch to stay on. Once you're there, there's some responsibilities that need to be met. Make sense? Who's got questions? Oh, I know what it is. You want to go smoke, don't you? That's a good idea. Let's go smoke. We'll see you. Y'all come back in, in 15 minutes.